0: I usually start off saying, make sure you're uncomfortable uh, because that, that that's always the first step it, un, being, or having a level of discomfort keeps you on track and keeps your focus. And, and with that, I, I would say, read everything you can. And I don't mean just about your industry and, and becoming an expert in your field, but there's so many uh, you know ancillary and outside things that contribute to your decision-making um, you know, it could be you know things like baking and um, you know learning how you know why do uh, you know certain calls get called in a football game. There's so many things like that, and th- those are things that lend themselves to decision-making processes.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com. We're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, uh, Timothy uh, Kelly. And uh, Tim or Timothy, whichever he goes by, um, is uh, started in high school and was an artist and was an artist and sports guys, which typically doesn't go together, but it was it worked out well for him. Uh, went to college and started out in uh, pre med, but then decided to switch over to psychology, um, and then started working in the healthcare industry. Became a pharmaceutical rep, and then worked for a company called TKI, which did CDs and VHSs and tapes and, and those type of things. Made those. And the company started to sell products in the medical industry, um, started to create software for radiology and other things, also um, started uh, to move into hospitals and doctors and start using the cloud to replace the CDs. And that uh, kind of brings us to where where he's at a bit today, and he'll give us a lot more detail uh, throughout his journey. So with that, much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast.
0: Thanks, Devin. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me here.
1: Absolutely. So I just took a much longer journey and condensed in the 30 or 40 second version of it. So let's unpack that a bit and tell us how your uh, journey got started as being a artist and sports guy in high school.
0: Sure. Uh, well, well, first, uh, yeah, just call me Tim because Timothy's only if you're angry with me. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, back in high school, uh, yeah, it's kind of, you know, people thought of you as an artist or an athlete and uh, I was both. And so it's it was kind of, a it, they usually don't go together, which uh, if you're playing sports, people say you can't draw something, but it uh, uh, wasn't the case. So just kind of a funny thing. So now you
1: did that in high school and enjoying the sports, enjoying doing at- or athletics. And they say, OK, now I'm going to go off to college. And I think you mentioned that you started in pre-med. And what made you decide as you're going through college to go from pre-med over to psychology?
0: Uh, just because uh, too much beer and and ladies and it was. Too much commitment to stay in med school, so it interfered with my social life, and uh, um, so psychology was just a fast way to get out.
1: So never, never, never let your schooling get in the way of a good
0: time. That that's, that's right. So uh, hopefully, <laughs> if I pass my my learned lessons on to my kids, that there's sacrifice involved if you want to get further. So.
1: Fair enough. No, that's a, that's a good, uh, it it is a reason I was, I was going to say that's a good reason to switch. I don't know if I would go so far and say it is a good reason, but it is a reason to switch to psychology, but then you still went down. Is I think you started, so you got your psychology degree coming out of school and I think you started out working in the healthcare industry. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Well, while I was in school, um, got hired by uh, a pharmacy benefit management company. Um, Oddly enough, called PMS, which is his own own problem. But uh, yeah, that was it was nascent at that time. There was there was a new industry to basically carve out sending prescriptions to people's homes at three months at a time for your maintenance drugs, carving out a major medical, and then watching the drug utilization review and comparing it to lost work time, hospital visits, doctor's visits, and it was found out that if people had more regular maintenance of their, you know, daily regimen of drugs that they needed for high blood pressure, diabetes, whatever the disease state may be that they had better outcomes over time.
1: Oh, and that that makes sense. And so you're, you're going, you're coming out of school, doing that Y school coming out of school. And then how did that was that where you got into doing or repping pharmaceuticals and kind of going in that direction? Or how did you make that switch or transition?
0: Yeah, I was understanding. I didn't know really anything about the pharmaceutical business at the time of getting into this PBM business, Um, but you started to learn things about formularies and what certain drugs did, so it gave a broad background, and then um, one of the smaller pharmaceutical companies hired me to be a rep, and then going out and visiting doctors was a lot of fun because I I love talking about medical stuff, and um, and then you learn uh, something that most people don't know is that reps really dictate how... Doctors practice medicine, which was a really interesting thing to learn. Is that you know most people believe that doctors just know everything, um, but they learn a lot from the reps. Um, they're 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 scientists by nature, and their you know, their uh, learning process is part of being sold things from reps from pharmaceutical companies, equipment companies, um, whatever products they are using in their practice. So. Um, but I always found that interesting. I teach them something about a mode of action of a drug and, you know, what expected results would be and, you know, contraindications and all those types of things, and then see them practice it in their practice. It kind of freaks you out a little bit that you're telling them how to treat their patients and then they do it, but that's, that's the uh, process.
1: So now you're, and that makes sense. So you you transition and say, okay, I'm going to kind of go into pharmaceutical rep and, you know. Teach the doctors or teach the medical industry what uh, drugs they might consider, how to treat their patients, or at least what options they have. And you do that for a period of time. Now, How long were you doing the the phar- or in the healthcare industry, and then being a pharmaceutical rep? Uh,
0: well, from the, at that point, that was a, just a few years in the mid nineties, and then um, was hired by uh, a pharmaceutical veterinarian company, actually dermatology veterinarian company, which is. Every time I mentioned that, people would say, do dogs get zits? I mean, what are you talking about? And um, Actually, they do, but there's a lot of other skin issues with dogs, cats, horses, um, certainly farm animals, and uh, so addressing those kinds of issues. And from there, a uh, veterinary distributor hired me where they carried 10, 12,000 different products, so all the drugs, all the hardware. Um, I could even uh, lease them a truck if they needed it. Uh, so, um, from there, that's where I was introduced into radiology um, products like ultrasounds and digital x-ray, and um, started selling those to veterinarians and um, then that brought me to um, TdK, which was the uh, the company you mentioned sold tapes and CDs and that's where most people know they're a big seven billion dollar conglomerate. But, I uh, just
1: one curiosity, what made you decide to kind of or move or, or move between the jobs in other words I get that you know you're in there you're selling some of those products you're aware of them but what made you decide to hey I'm going to go work with TdK directly because on the one sense so I get that you've been you know doing, working with radiology and they may have some overlap but if I remember right, tdk wasn't and i'm not trying to put words in your mouth so correct me if i'm wrong wasn't necessarily uh predominantly or you know in the medical industry or doing a lot in that area and so what was the impetus for just saying hey i'm going to switch over i'm going to take on this, on this opportunity or did you see a gap in the marketplace you thought you could make a difference oh, i was a good opportunity what what kind of uh was uh, the genesis of that uh, change i'd say
0: it was combined curiosity they they um Came to me as part of an outsourced management group to say, "Hey, why are these why are these hospitals buying CDs and tapes and DVDs, and can we exploit that marketplace? Is there more of a of a place for that?" So you're kind of uh, you know sales and marketing guy and into medical, so you know joining this team and and I was curious too, what were hospitals doing with these things? And it was in the late '90s, so '98, '99. And um, found that they were replacing cine film, is what they called it, in cardiology. So back then, to record a cardiology study, basically a, a movie of your heart, they would record them on cine film, like a movie. And so it was better to keep them in a digital format, and they're recording that onto CDs and DVDs. And uh, uh, yeah, and that,
1: and that makes you know makes sense. So they they basically came and said, hey. We don't know exactly why we need or why they're all these medical. We're grateful for the sales, but we don't know why they're all buying them. Can you help us figure it out? Why? And then see if there's an opportunity there. So now you say, yeah, love to do it. Sounds interesting and love to kind of explore that as well. You know, was it just a straightforward thing? It was a pretty quick. You could figure out why and you broke into a whole new industry or was it still kind of building out that sector of the company kind of as you're figuring that out and trying to build it and otherwise go or go after it? How did that go? Was it just, you know, how did that, how how did that exploration and building go?
0: Uh, Yeah, I was um, discovering that that's what was happening. They were buying them, you know, for cardiology and then the uh, video cassettes were being bought for obstetrics recording uh, ultrasounds at that time. So, and moms would then get the copy of the ultrasound on a video cassette as a keepsake in many cases back at that time. And uh, uh, with my partner at the time, we thought, geez, you know, how much further could we exploit this? And so uh, we wanted to push it into radiology and thought there's an opportunity to replace film and make radiology into a digital format. And at the same time, uh, there was big companies like GE and Philips and uh, Siemens pushing what they call PAC systems, which are essentially big storage systems for storing all the radiology images. And then doctors seeing them on a screen instead of slapping up film into a light box, which was the normal, you know, protocol at that time. And, um, the first couple of trade shows we went to, we were laughed at and said, Hey, you guys are boneheads. No one's ever going to use these CDs. And, um, and now 20 years later, they're still the predominant format of exchange in healthcare. And it's becoming kind of weird that CDs will become this bizarre, exotic media of healthcare. Cause it's the only industry that still uses discs. there's really nothing else and so there's still a few movies left but that's those are fading rather quickly too
1: no so now and and that that makes sense and so it sounds like it was one where you know initially it was a bit laughed at and and, but then it's become pretty well accepted so you build that out and and had a a hand in building that uh, portion of the industry out no, I think is and uh, as you were going through that and it kind of uh, talk or a little bit transitioned to where you you're at today or what you guys are doing today, but you've been doing that for quite a bit of time. Also, I think you mentioned got into a bit of the software, but you're really looking and saying can now you take it to the next step, which is where a lot of other people are at. We're making it cloud-based, making it so that you don't have to have the physical or tangible CD or VHS or tape or anything of that nature. And so I think that's where you guys have now headed today. Is that right?
0: Exactly. So looking to cannibalize a business once again and uh, eliminate CDs and move everything to the cloud. It's much more convenient, uh, much more secure, Um uh, better for patients. You can keep your own personal records in the cloud. Uh, moving that data is is pretty seamless these days. And, it, and overall, like any of these markets, when the consumer market starts to drive it, um, the professional markets have to adapt to it. And you see more and more consumers just keeping all their videos and pictures and documents in the cloud now. And so why not your medical records too? And um, it's going to become standard practice.
1: So now, you know, kind of the question that arises from that is when you originally went to the CD, VHS tape kind of industry and, and providing that to the healthcare industry, you said, you know, they kind of laughed out of the room, so to speak, or it, it took a while to accept Are so you seeing that kind of same pushback. So as you're saying, hey, there's a lot of opportunity, people want to have access to the records, you make it more accessible between doctors or between specialists or hospitals and people can discover it on their own and have that record themselves. Has it been one that's been pretty well accepted and people are readily or, you know, easy to move over? Are they more reticent saying, hey, this is we're already made this leap once and then we're comfortable and we don't want to make any transition? Or how have you found that as you've uh, got or kind of started to promote and get that idea out there? How's it been accepted?
0: Yeah, I I thought it was going to be a similar process, but it's definitely been different where with the CDs replacing film, it was um, we were changing a protocol because they were going from essentially analog to digital. And in this case, they're already all digital. They're just using an older method of moving that data. So we're just trying to upgrade their their methodology. And so it's not adoption now, it's adaptation. It's a different uh, thought process and the the barriers are different. And back then it could be physical where they just didn't have a CD drive. Um, and now that's becoming a problem again, because they don't make them in computers, but uh, the biggest problem in getting the adaptation is is fear of compliance, security, um, you know, who has access to the data, and if there's a breach, who's responsible. So you have to cover, you know, what we call the five pillars of security, and um, those, even then, once you, you can promise them up and down, we insure it, we indemnify them. Uh, you still have a lot of uh, barriers to get through to get that final approval.
1: And, now is, and are you starting to see that, you know, you start to figure out, you know, and that, that kind of happens a lot of times with any in industry that you're one of the first entrances and you're trying to make that shift or that transition. People are reticent a bit to change and the unknown and how is this going to affect it? Is it going to work as well? Is it going to be reliable? Or are they going to have increased liability? And so you have to con- kind of address all those concerns. Are you starting to see that? industry is are starting to accept it or is it still a bit of an uphill battle or convincing them or kind of give us an idea of kind of where are things at today
0: yeah yeah they're definitely starting to um to to do it it's been a harder push than originally anticipated and a lot of that just has to do with um how we encapsulate retiring that those risks um, so if one the first of course is security so if we can retire that the next one is: is is this easy to use? Does it integrate with our current systems that we're already using? Um, is it fast? Um, is there downtime? And then um, ultimately, how does it affect their patients? And does it make their patients' lives better and their outcomes better?
1: Well, sounds like it's uh, definitely a fun or exciting time, a lot of opportunity, and yeah. uh, continue to uh, work to change the industry and and improve it for the better. So. Well, that brings us uh, kind of to where things are at a bit today. Now, if you're to kind of look in and it kind of dovetails right onto that question, but if you're to look out into the kind of the next six to 12 months, where do you see, you know, the business headed, you guys headed and then kind of what's the, the next step for you guys?
0: Well, we're, um, you know, pie in the sky type of guys. So we, uh, our ultimate goal is to create a global healthcare communications platform where that's oriented around the primary diagnostic tool, which is radiology. So everything is moving towards. Let's take a look inside as as the diagnostic tool, and eventually there'll be atomic level imaging where you won't get a you won't get a pin prick to get a blood sample, but literally put your hand in a machine, and a look at the literally the cellular structure and atomic structure of things coursing through your bloodstream, and say, okay, that's H1N1, is why you're not feeling well. Um, and uh, I know that sounds like Star trek kind of stuff, but um, that, that development is already out there. So if you look at these images as the primary diagnostic tool for, you know, it could be from a broken bone to a cancer to a virus, um, that's going to be the primary tool. Um, radiology surpassed pharmaceuticals as the most expensive aspect of healthcare back in 2014. And that divide will continue because it actually even Uh, decides what your drug regimen is going to be, you know, certain radiology procedures. So with that, and you look at your telehealth boom, uh, where you're keeping sick patients at home and healthy patients at home for good reasons, you and I could be having a consultation where let's say I'm the doctor, I say, okay, Devin, I'm going to bring up your results and your images, whether it's your pathology or your your knee that has to be scoped from a sports injury. Uh, We can have that Consultation, I can show you exactly what the issues are. And with that, because I'm showing and sharing the imaging with you, um, it's going to have higher compliance too. Because once you see what is wrong, people tend to do the right thing instead of just when they're told this is what's wrong. Um, As we always crack jokes, you know, the guy who just had a heart scan and gets a stent put in that day or three stents, they're feeling pretty good. So they hit the McDonald's drive thru on the way home.
1: Why not? If you're, you just got all cleaned out, you might as well uh, clog it back up. So no, that, that's right. funny. No, but it, it sounds like there's uh, definitely some uh, good opportunities, a lot of uh, interesting things continuing to, to go in, in that direction. And, and, and uh, as you guys continue to make inroads and showing people their better way, definitely uh, sounds like a, a great opportunity for you guys as well. Well, as we start to wrap up the podcast, I always uh, 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 and, and wrap up with uh, two questions. So we'll go ahead and jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? And what would you learn from it?
0: Well, geez, there were so many bad ones. It's, it's, it's hard to pick. But um, you going back to the beginning of my uh, entrepreneurship uh, was um, turning down money when it was offered to me. Uh, because you think, oh, I can just do this completely on my own. And with that was help. You know, it was help and money and thinking I had all the answers and stuff terrible decision-making process back then. And I was, I was pretty green at the time and thought I was like a wonder boy. And, you know, you just, just not. Um, And then at one point I had an opportunity to sell a technology uh, called the baby CD for a considerable amount of money. And again, thought I was smarter than anyone else in the room. And I wasn't, and uh, took a pass on, on that sale. And it went from worth a small fortune down to nothing um so that was a big mistake another one i'd say is uh you know spending too much early on for example going to a trade show and thinking you have to impress the people coming to the show Uh, one point we spent a huge fortune on a big booth that was 30 feet tall and we put leather couches in and a white wood floor and i can't remember how much money it was but it was like building a small house and uh um, we couldn't even man the booth, it was too big, so, so it, was just, uh, it was just dumb, and it didn't help us get a single extra sale.
1: But well, I think that sometimes, you know, even I look at all those boosts and sometimes you think, hey, we got to spend it. We got to make like look like we're successful. And sometimes it works out and, it, you know, it doesn't. It. But a lot of times you put in a lot of effort for trade shows. You go there and you find out there are 5,000 other people there and there's a lot of boosts and it's hard to cut through the clutter and all that extra money you put into them. And some of those type of decisions don't always have that reward, but it definitely has those trade offs. And so it definitely makes sense on some of those mistakes, how you how you make them, but also the, the lessons learned from them yeah second question i always ask is if you talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them
0: yeah you know i get asked those questions um you know certainly by uh, people wanting to start something and I, I usually start off saying make sure you're uncomfortable uh, because that, that, that's always the first step it, on being or having a level of discomfort keeps you on track and keeps your focus and and with that, I always say read everything you can, and I don't mean just about your industry and, and becoming an expert in your field. But there's so many uh, you know ancillary and outside things that contribute to your decision making. Um, you know, it could be you know things like baking and um, you know learning how you know why do uh, you know certain calls get called in a football game. There's so many things like that. And those are things that lend themselves to decision-making processes. Uh, everyone thinks they have one way of um, answering something. My dad used to give me a great line all the time. There's no such thing as genius, only thinking objectively. And, um, you know, that's coming at it from all different angles. And that helped me a lot. Another one, my dad just said to me, don't sell the business to yourself. Make sure you're able to sell it to other people. I think a lot of people have to convince themselves how great something is which is fine, but if you can't convince somebody else, you don't have anything.
1: Oh, I think that that's absolutely right. And I mean, and that's one that's, I think sometimes easier said than done because you always can convince yourself something's a good idea, a great opportunity. Sometimes it isn't, it definitely makes sense. But other times you're just uh, sitting in there and you've convinced yourself it's a good idea when in reality, nobody else would wanna pay for it or it's not, there's not enough big marketplace or any number of things. So I think those are great takeaways and uh, great pieces of advice. Well, as we wrap up the the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, or find
0: out more? Uh, One is um, just my email. It's very easy. Tim at Tellaray.com. So T-E-L-E-R-A-Y.com. And then a phone number, they can call us at 844-4-TELLARAY. And, uh, just ask for me. And um, so pretty easy, or just go to our website and you can hit the info at tellerae.com.
1: All right. Well, I definitely encourage people to to connect uh, and uh, check things out and and make sure to um, utilize the services, especially if they're in the medical industry. So, but with that, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now for all of you that are listeners, if you uh, have your own journey to tell, you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. Just go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show couple more things as listeners make sure to click share subscribe leave a review make sure so we can make sure to share all these awesome episodes with everyone that's out there that's looking to do a startup or small business and last but not least if you ever need help with your patents your trademarks or anything else to your business just go to strategymeeting.com grab some time with the chat we're always here to help thank you again Tim for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last
0: thanks Evan